get into the Word, and we're still on our journey uh, to be help, healthy, happy, and whole for 2020. Um, some of you may not know what this is. Some of you may not have been with us uh, last week or even the last few weeks of the year, but we've, we felt a, an unction from God to uh, just pursue health in this year. And not just in our body, that's just one aspect. We, we're, we're, we felt an unction from God to just pursue health in our whole being. And I'll explain more of that as we go along. But health is such an important thing. And our part in our health is a big deal. Even if you're Christian, even if you believe in divine health, you still have a part to play. In fact, I read the statistics this week and it just blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, it really did. It's like we spend $2.5 trillion, not, not billion, trillion dollars a year on health care in this country. $2.5 trillion. And now get this statistic. 75% of that money spent is spent treating chronic disease that could be eliminated by lifestyle change. 75%. If we would just change our lifestyle a little bit, if we would just uh, move into more obedience with God about the way that we live, we could avoid 75% of our doctor's visits, 75% of the expense going to the doctor. That means only 25% of the things that really are happening in the medical field are things that we just are unavoidable. Imagine this. I had a friend this week that was trying to get in the hospital bed. They had to wait for a room to open up. If, if, if we had a few lifestyle changes, if we really pursued this, what we're talking about in 2020, with all of our heart, think about all the hospital rooms, 75% of them opening up for people that are really ill. I'm not saying people aren't really ill when they have this, but I'm just saying if we could change our lifestyle and really do this, how much of a less of a burden it would be on the, on the health care system? How much less money we would spend? How much less money the insurance companies would spend? Could we solve some of our health care issues simply by a few lifestyle choices? And it, according to these statistics, we could. And so we started this last week, and we talked about some of this stuff, and I'm going to kind of repeat myself, but I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but I do want to just go over some points again, and that is that as we start this thing in 2020, it all starts with an honest appraisal of where we are. You have to have an honest appraisal of where you are when you start something like this, because if you don't do an honest, uh, no excuses, no justifications, an honest appraisal of where you are in life, uh, you're not ever going to make a change. And I like what Richard Rohr says about truth, because that's what we want, the truth, the honest assessment. He says, you know, that the truth will set you free, but first it makes you miserable. And that's why a lot of people don't want to do the honest assessment. They really go, ah, I don't want to talk about it, you know, because, you know, if they're honest with themselves and they start to do this assessment and they're sitting before God and they're saying, God, where am I at physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, all these different areas of my life, where am I at? Sometimes it can make you miserable. We don't want you to be miserable. <laughs> Miser you know why I don't want you to be miserable? Because miserable, misery, it doesn't motivate anybody. Misery is a terrible motivator. It just, it just makes you feel bad. But misery is a great indicator. It's not a great motivator, but it's a very good indicator. If you do an honest assessment of your life and you get before God and he talks to you about something personal in your life and you, it makes you feel a little bit miserable, you're like, 
that's an indicator that maybe something needs to be addressed in your life. Don't stay in misery because it's not going to do you any good. But sometimes that warning light, that misery warning light, can tell you something. So, I've asked my beautiful wife to come up here and give a testimony about her journey because I feel like it's so, um, it, it so matches what I'm trying to say today in this today's message. So, uh, honey, come on up here. She, if, if you know her, this is truly an act of selfless love for her to come up here and do this. So, come on up. It's a microphone. Uh, Tanner? Okay, Lindo? No. All right. It just showed up. Okay, honey. Go right ahead. Hello. Okay. Daryl <laughs> talked about misery. Um, I've lived, and I wrote this down because I'll forget. So, I have lived in a type of misery of my own making on and off for most of my adult life, peaking two years ago at my heaviest weight ever. I was disgusted and judgmental of what and who I saw in the mirror. Um, I felt pretty hopeless. I didn't think, especially at my age, that I could lose the weight um, because I've tried so many times before and it had failed. But our dear friend Angie Phillips, who lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and who we only get to see you know, a couple times a year, um, we vacation with them in Florida once a year. And um, when we went, she had lost 50 pounds on Weight Watchers and she looked amazing. I was like, wow. Um, Daryl and I came home from vacation, our fattest ever, both of us, with Angie and her husband, Wendy. And we determined that we too would try Weight Watchers. Um, Weight Watchers worked for me because it steered me to healthier food choices. And I discovered happily that I really liked a lot of them. Um, I could eat real food and not be hungry. Weight Watchers wasn't a diet. Um, it really is, is a lifestyle. <clears throat> um, and the weight began to come off in the very first week. Um, but let me tell you, it wasn't just Weight Watchers. Um, having a spouse and friends doing the journey with me was a key to my success. Um, Daryl and I were strong for each other when the other one felt weak. Um, yes, we both gave in many times, and I blame Brahms and their milkshakes and hamburgers. <laughs> I swear, we would drive by, and we were like, you want two? You want two? Half the time we wanted to, we'd pull in. But they were the kids' shakes. But anyway, man. But what was important was that we never gave up. And we started over again each day with a clean slate, whether we did good or bad. We didn't dwell on the past. We just tried to make good choices one day after the other. Um, also, to my delight, when I started going to Weight Watchers meetings, my good friends Carol Saunders and Deborah Crump were there. I had no idea. So it was really fun. It's been awesome over the months to just cheer each other on when we reach our successes and our milestones. So that's community is so important. Um, a funny thing, though, and this is what got me having to tell a testimony, because I told Daryl about it. Don't ever tell him something or, or send him something unless you want to get up here. So, and I've warned people of that, but I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> but 
A funny thing, though. Through the journey, I was still judgmental and mean to the person I saw in the mirror. It's weird. You'd think as you lose weight, you'd be like, yeah, you go. Instead, it was like, you're gross, you know? And um, God checked me on it one day. I mean, the reason was I did that. This is important. I saw the progress, but my brain was trained to try to motivate, motivate myself negatively. You know, like, like you said, that misery. I mean, it never works to no. call yourself names. Um, so anyway, God checked me on this. He told me he would never be that mean to me, so why am I so mean to myself? And I began to thank him for my wonderful body. It had carried me healthy for 55 years, born me two beautiful children, and was the temple that he lived in. So I changed the verbiage in my head to more positive, hopeful, and loving statements. And I can't, I can't even recall the last time I said something mean to myself in my brain, so there's that. Um, I encourage you to try it, too. You'll be amazed how ditching the negative and speaking life will transform your mind. Um, one of my goals, and I'm almost done, one of my goals for 2020 is to add exercise and strength training to my life. My challenge is to re rewire my brain on that and not think of exercise as a dirty word because I hate it. I know, um, but the Bible says it has some benefits, so I'm going to choose to believe that. It's taken me 16 months to, to reach my weight goal. There have been great weigh-in days with small losses, big losses. I've had plateaus that have frustrated me to no end. And many times I've gained weight. But the key is to just keep going forward, lean on your friends and your family, ask the Lord for wisdom and strength, and never give up because you're worth it. Oh, thanks. So true. Inspirational. Um, so we started this journey last week, and I handed out uh, journals to everyone in the church. If you didn't get one of these last week, they're out at the front desk. We want you to have one because we want you to take this journey with us this year. Um, it's not all about weight loss, uh, even though Wendy's testimony was about weight loss. It's about health, and it's about uh, doing things with God that we couldn't otherwise do without God. And so it's just that simple. You know, uh, when I gave out these notebooks, I thought that I was, I always think I'm clear when I'm up here, but evidently I'm not. So I, I had a lot of questions this last week, and so I wanted to talk briefly about these notebooks and what they're for. Uh, they're not just a journal um, like a normal journal, these are really specific, and they're for this journey this year. So here we are on page one, and what I asked you to list on page one was your why and your motivation to change. If you answer the why question uh, as to why you would want to take this journey, uh, you, you come up with your motivation. If you say, financially, I want to save a whole lot of money because I'm scared about the future, then fear is your motivator, and that's not a good motivator. So here's what the deal is. When you, when you answer the why question, you come up with your motivation, and when you examine your motivation, you see the source of your motivation. Don't be motivated by the devil, <laughs> like cutting yourself down, being afraid, feeling guilty, being ashamed, being disgusted. That's all from the devil. You need to find a motivation that lasts a lifetime, at least a year. And there's only one place you can get that motivation, and it's from the Lord. 
Now, with God, we know God is love. And so love has to play a part in your motivation to change or it's not going to last. You know, we're here to learn to love one another. We, we all know the Bible says that the most important thing is to love God, love others, and love yourself. That's what it is. Your motivation has got to fall into that place, like Wendy said, where I stopped cutting myself down and I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm proud of you. I think you're a beautiful person. I love you. If you can find a motivation in loving yourself, you will find a motivation that will last a lifetime. Loving others. If you love your spouse and you want to be healthy for your spouse and your children and your grandchildren all of their life, you want to live as long as you possibly can, as healthy as you possibly can, so you can be there for them, that's a motivation that can last a lifetime because it's based in love. And I don't know if you know this, Love is the most powerful force in our world. And of course, to love God. When you get God's perspective on your body and you stop believing your body's evil and you start believing it's a gift from God, you're going to start treating it a little bit differently. So that's what's on this first page. On the second page, we're going to begin to list long-term goals. Now, on this long-term goals, I have told you we're going to focus on seven different areas in this, in this year. Now, here's the problem that I found from last week's sermon. A lot of people were overwhelmed. They're like, oh, my goodness, I can't do seven different areas at one time, and oh, it's, it's too much. Ah, it's overload. So they quit. They don't want to do it. Well, that's the devil. He doesn't want you to do this. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But here we got the seven things, physically, spiritually, nutritionally, financially, mentally, emotionally, and relationships. These are, the, these are the areas we want to get healthy in in 2020. Some of you may be great in four of the seven, but there might be three of these. that You, you might be great in six of the seven, but there might just be one that you really need to focus on and you want to work on, and so you're, you really want to take it to the Lord. You know, because of Wendy's testimony, I want to talk about the physical uh, thing, because that seems to be one that everybody jumps on right away, is that these physical long-term goal. And so if your physical long-term goal is to lose 20 pounds this year, you say, well, isn't, how's that spiritual? Well, I'm going to explain to you today how very spiritual it is. Because I think we as Christians, we have this trouble connecting dots, and there's a reason for that, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit today. But if losing 20 pounds is your long-term goal, that means you can't do it by February. And if you do, it's not a healthy weight loss, but you're looking to do this over the course of this year. And so that's your long-term goal. It's way out there in the future. And then on the next page, page three, we're going to start to look at short-term goals. And short-term goals take long-term goals and break them into things we can do today, this week, right now. We're going to do these things, and this is part of our short-term goals. And, you know, I just think about Wendy's testimony. And so these are things that happened in her life, and they happened right away. And these are the things when she starts talking about being consistent that she did. You know, she changed her diet. Uh, she began to exercise, even though she's not exercising the amount she wanted to. We begin to exercise together, and it's very mild amounts. She wants to do more in the coming years, and that's great, and I do too. But we did incorporate some exercise that we didn't previously had. She joined a group. I don't know if you know this, but statistics prove you, you lose 50% more weight when you're with a group or accountable to someone else than you do if you're alone. So you join a group. And the last thing is you begin to cook at home. You don't eat out all the time. You don't go for the dollar menu stuff. You don't go for the easy. You really do plan and do this stuff, and that's the way it does. Now, here's the funny thing. You've had a physical goal. It's long-term. It's physical. It's about losing 20 pounds. But look what happens. 
You change your diet. Suddenly, you've got a nutritional goal. Suddenly, you're stepping into nutrition. And, so, and then you exercise. And then suddenly, you've got an emotional and a mental goal because you know what happens when you exercise? Your stress level goes down. Your mentality is sharper. Your emotions help because you feel better about yourself. You're, you're a lot more positive in your life. You suddenly have a mental and emotional goal. And then you look at the next one. You join a group. You suddenly have a relationship goal. You know, like Wendy's saying, she went to Weight Watchers group. And there was two of her good friends, and she didn't know they were going to be there, but it helped to build that relationship, that shared community of doing something together. And then what happens? You're eating at home more, so suddenly you find out you have a financial goal that's being met because you're not spending your money at restaurants. You're spending it on home-cooked food. You see, don't overwhelm yourself. If there's just one thing in your life, one thing in this year, just tackle that one thing. And what you find out is that you're going to bleed over into all these other areas and you're going to make advancement. Next week, I'm going to talk about the next few pages of your journal, but this is the first one. And let me give you a disclaimer here. These are very flimsy. And we bought the cheapest one we could find because we're giving them away. And the pages will fall out, so handle with care. But I got them this size, so they'll fit in your Bible, they'll fit in your purse, they'll fit in your car. And uh, I want you to really uh, make, a, make a commitment with this this year because it's worth it. But, you know, a lot of people reach a goal, and they reach a short-term goal, and they, and they make a change. But it's not a lasting change. A lot of people start stuff two weeks later, three weeks later, they stop. And so what we're talking about today is finding a lasting change, a motivation that will last a lifetime or even a year. What is your motivation? It's so important. You know, when I rolled this out at the vision retreat um, a few months ago, I rolled out what our focus was going to be for this next year. I was so surprised by the opposition. that I was like, really? You know, somebody, a lot of people just were like, oh. And I thought, why? Why? And it's because, duh, it's the devil. Now, I don't, I don't want to always jump with the devil, but the devil hates this stuff. I don't, I don't know if you know the devil doesn't want you to lose weight because he wants you to condemn yourself. He wants you to be disgusted with you. He wants you to feel inferior. He wants you to withdraw and isolate and hide because you don't like the way you look or feel. This is the devil's plan. He hates this stuff because he knows it has spiritual implication. He knows it releases power in our life. He will oppose it every time. He doesn't want us to feel good about ourselves. He wants us to be sick. He wants us to be spending our money on health issues. He wants all that money going. Because he's, he's here to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy your life. And this is one of the ways he's done it for years in the church. He wants you to be like, he wants you, he, he wants you to quit before you start. He wants you to be one of those people that says, oh, I've tried so many times. I don't want to try. I don't even want to hear it. And the, and the thing in your mind will be like, don't even go back because you're not going to do it. Please. Even if you try this, fail, and quit, try this, fail, and quit, and do that six times, please don't let your perfectionist spirit drive you out of this. You won't be perfect. You will make mistakes, just like Wendy said. It's going to happen. The, tr the deal is push, delete, get up. Start over. That's what you've got to do. You've got to keep going forward. Don't let, the, uh, don't let the devil convince you that your body doesn't matter. Because it does a great deal. Don't let the devil tell you, oh, your spirit man's okay. Your body doesn't matter. You know what that is? 
that's a deception. Because your body does matter. Your body matters as much as your spirit man because they're totally connected and you can't take them apart. You see, the church has bought into an old Greek philosophy of dualism. You know, Aristotle and, and, and uh, Socrates and Plato, they all believed this thing. It was called dualism. They believed in a complete separation of your mind and your body. In fact, there was this, in dualism, they believed your body was actually evil. And because the church grew up under this type of philosophy, the church adopted this early on that actually your human body was just gross. It was evil. It was prone to evil. The thing that mattered was your spirit man. And as long as your spirit man was okay, your body didn't matter. In fact, there was a whole group of people in, when the Bible was written, the time the Bible was written, they were called Gnostics. And their whole theology was Jesus came to earth, but he did not have a human body because that's evil and gross and he wouldn't have done that. He had a spiritual body. And so they had this whole debate going on to where if you read 1 John chapter 4, around in the first few verses of that chapter, it says anyone that denies Jesus came in the flesh is a false spirit. It's an antichrist. Even back then, it was trying to work its way into the body because this is one of the most effective tools the devil can use is to make us think our body has no meaning whatsoever. It's just our spirit man. And that's just false. It's a deception. The body is not equal. I mean, the body is not evil. The body is, the body is important. Our, our being is a triune being like God. We're made body, mind, and soul. And all those make one spiritual being. And that's what we are. We can't separate our mind from our body, from our soul. We can't separate our emotions from our mind, from our spirit man. They're all intertwined. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to pay attention to every single part of ourselves. So stop compartmentalizing. Stop letting the devil do that to you. Like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it matters. And I'm going to show you it matters a great deal to God. This is what Paul said. He said, you know, your body's not evil, but if it's left to its own, it's going to always go down the easy road. And so the body has to be controlled. And here's how, body, uh, how Paul said it. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Now, Paul was not an athlete. We know he was a, a preacher and a tent maker. What was he talking about? He's saying, if your body is not addressed... It's not evil, but it has to be controlled and it has to be disciplined or it won't do what it should do. It's a big deal. Left to itself, it always takes the easy road. Listen to these scriptures out of, out of Romans chapter 7. And I'm starting in verse 14. The trouble with me, I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do. When I want to do what's right, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Now, this is the Bible talking right here about human nature. It started off by saying I'm way too human. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I, want to do what, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's this power working inside of me at war with me, and it makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable, there's that word again, 
What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? How many of you can relate to that? We want to do the right thing. We start off, we have great intentions, and we do the wrong thing. You know what he attributes that to? You're too human. You're human. This is the way it's going to be. You will never succeed at anything you try like what we're doing in 2020 in your flesh. You won't make it. You can't, be will, you can't willpower yourself enough to change. It won't last because you're too human. I'm too human. We're all too human. We want to do what's right. We end up doing what's wrong. That's just what happens. And it is a miserable state. And he's crying out saying, what do I do with myself? I don't even know what to do. It's like I can't get better. And he gives us the answer in just the next few verses. And I loved what he starts with. He said, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It starts with no condemnation. God's not mad at us. He's not disgusted. He's, not, he's saying, I know you're human. I know the way you are. I love you. There's no condemnation. And then he goes on to say, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death. You see, he gives us an answer right here to a lasting motivation, something that can take us from here to the rest of our life. If we will walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, we will be able to be free from the things that trip us up all the time. The only way we can go on this journey and make it successfully is to make this a spiritual journey. It has to be done in faith. Our body is a very, very powerful thing. And if it's calling the shots in your life, you will never, ever, ever change. If your body is calling the shots and telling you what to do, it will never discipline itself. It will never take you to the good place. It will always take the path of least resistance. And your body's super powerful. Let me explain it this way. I want you to sit up straight. Okay, everybody sit up straight. Do, do it with me. Roll your shoulders back. Look at me. You said the key thing. So now I ask you, do you, do you feel differently than you did before that? And do, do, are you more alert? Are you paying attention better? No, one somebody saying no. Okay. Okay. But here's the thing. When you make your body do something as simple as that, it changes the way you feel and it changes the way you think. Something that simple can affect the way you think and feel. Now think about disciplining your body and how positive the effects can be to your way you're thinking and the way you feel if you would just walk down a road of discipline and train your body to do what it should do. Some of you are still not believing me. So here's God's answer to your body in being the main part of your spirit. I mean, one part of your spirit being. It is that, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is, this is what God's remedy is. If you want to go on with God, you have to deal, you have to do something with your body. Isn't it interesting that he starts here with offer your body as a living sacrifice? Don't offer your spirit. Don't offer your thoughts. Don't offer your heart. Offer your body. Why? Because God knows that if our body is a living sacrifice, 
we've made a huge step towards walking with the Lord. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, he doesn't want you to martyr yourself. He doesn't want you to self-mutilate or do anything mean. What he's saying is, I want your body to be, I want you to purposely put your body on the altar, which means you're, you're committing your body to God. I'm committing my body to you, Lord. I'm committing my body. I'm going to line my body up with what you say it should be. And I'm going to lay myself on that altar. But we all know the problem with the living sacrifice. It's alive. And it can get off the altar anytime it wants. And it does. <laughs> you lay it up there, and it's up there. You say, I'm making a commitment today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do And then two weeks later, you're like, oh, I'm getting off the altar. <laughs> if we're to make this long term... It has to be a spiritual walk. We have to get to a place where we say, God, every day, I am a living sacrifice. I'm committing my body to you today. And when your body tempts you to do something that you know is not good, you know is not right, you have to climb back up on that altar. You have to do it three times a day, four times a day, 15 times a day. I don't know how many times a day, but you'll have to do it. That's the deal about being a living sacrifice. It's a total commitment to God. And you have to do it every time. You do it over and over and over. And here's the funny thing. God says when we do that, it's a spiritual act of worship. You see, maybe we've had the wrong idea about what worship is. We think it's music or singing or lifting our hands or praising in that way, and it is. But God says one of the main ways we worship him is by committing our body to him. Without letting him have the say over our body. You, you do know your body's not your own. We read that last week. You've been given this tremendous gift, and God says it's a gift, and you just manage it. You don't own this. You know, and this is not evil. God could live anywhere in the universe. He used to live in a temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. He used to live in the Holy of Holies, above the Ark of the Covenant, right there at the Mercy Seat. That's where he dwelt. He didn't dwell there anymore. You know where he chooses to dwell? In your body. In your body. Don't tell me this doesn't matter. This is a holy place for God. We offer this body, and it is a spiritual act of service. You know, keeping your body in shape is a spiritual act of service. You can be worshiping God by going to the gym. If your motivation's correct, if you go to the gym because you want to be hot, you want to attract the wrong kind of, you know, you want to attract the wrong kind of attention. I'm not saying that that's the kind of motivation. That, but if you go to the if you go to the gym and you make a commitment, you say, God, I am going to commit my body to you. I'm going to do everything I can to be healthy. And you go there, you're worshiping God. Every bit as much as when you're here at church on your face before God, He sees that as a spiritual act of worship. See, we've, we've, we've adopted some wrong thinking about our, about our bodies. And it says in Ephesians that no one really hates their body. We lovingly care for it. Now look at the connection he makes here. Just as Christ cares for his body, the church. Did you hear that connection? He's saying that me, I should look at my body the way Christ looks at the church. And I thought, this is so funny because there are a lot of parallels. You know, I want to tell my body to do the right thing, and it says, no, we're going to Brahms to have a milkshake. That, you know, it's like it's, it's just going its own way. 
It's like Jesus with the church. He's saying, church, this is good for you. We're moving you in a, in a good place. And we're like, no, we don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. We're just going to stay home and watch TV. And, and he's like, no, I love you. I know I want what's best for you. And it's just like our bodies. It, we resist. And that's what the Bible says. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We just go our own way. And God says, you should love your body the way I love the church. And I try to bring the church to the green pasture. I try to bring the church to the good place. They don't always want to go. And we should always be bringing our bodies before the Lord and committing them to him and taking our body into the place where it's going to be as healthy as it can possibly be. Our bodies, they matter a lot. So how do we do it? We commit our actions to the Lord and our plans will succeed. It's just that simple. It takes a spiritual commitment for this thing to work. You know, you may have tried 50 times before. I, I love Gary Jones' testimony. He's, he shared it a couple of times up here. He said he was on meth for, I don't remember, 30-something years. He tried, to quit for five, he tried to quit five different times, and he never could do it. And he said, but one time I met Jesus, and right then I had the power to change. He committed his plans to the Lord, and he succeeded. And he's never gone back. You see, that's the kind of thing we have to get in our mind. This is a spiritual journey. I don't care if it's weight loss, addiction, uh, your finances are a wreck, you can't get them in. It doesn't matter. They're all a spiritual journey. And any time we stop letting our body call the shots and we make it a living sacrifice, we're truly worshiping God by saying, God, we want to do this your way. We want to do it your way, God. We want to commit to you because it's, it's important. Because whenever we find faith in the midst of our commitment, faith releases God's power. There is a connection between our faith and God's power. It said that Jesus went to his hometown and he couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. There was no miracles of power. But it goes on and says in Romans 4 about Abraham's faith that it didn't leave him. He did not doubt God's promise. Instead, the faith filled him with power. You see, the power to make this journey, the power to succeed, is a spiritual journey. It doesn't matter if it's something as simple as losing 20 pounds. It's still a faith walk. It's still a spiritual act of service. It's still a spiritual journey and worship. We just have to find faith for it. Because when we find faith for it, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for those I love. When we find that, his power is released. So when we look at this, these two verses, I put these two different verses here because they contrast so strongly. It's, it's a simple choice. If you, if you lack faith for what you're doing, you have no power for the journey. You won't have God's power. You'll have your willpower. That's all you'll have, and you won't make it. You'll, two weeks into it, you'll, this is ridiculous. But if you have faith for the journey, if your motivation's from God, if you, if you know it's from the Lord, You'll have faith for it. His power is released, and you will make it. I love what Abraham did. He, he didn't give up. Abraham had a lot of obstacles. He didn't give up his faith, and guess what? God dropped power into him, and he was able to make the journey. That's the way, that's the way it works. So no matter what you're asking for, no matter what road you're going down this year, God can meet you on that road. And he will with that motivation that's from the Lord. He will. So what are your goals for 2020? Because no matter what they are, <laughs> it doesn't matter how big they are, they're not bigger than what he can do.
Ephesians 3.20. God, by his mighty power, is at work within us. That's in your body. He is able to do far more than we could ever even dare to ask. So no matter what your goal is, and you've asked God to help you do it, he's still there to help you do exceedingly more than that. More than you would ever even dare to ask and even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, our highest desires, our highest thoughts, or our highest hopes. Man, it seems a little reckless putting a promise in the Bible that he knew we would read, that we would have a choice to believe that is so absolutely huge. I said I was going to talk about these other pages in our journal next week, but one of the pages I'm going to talk about is I have a page listed in my journal getting on into it. It's called a dream page. I, I just dared, after reading this and studying this week, I said, I'm, I've stopped dreaming. At my age, I, I, I've, I've just kind of settled and thought, well, some of that stuff I used to dream has kind of passed me by. I'm, I'm probably on the downside. I'm winding down. I'm landing my life down, you know, whatever. But God said, dare to dream. It doesn't matter. Dare to dream. So I wrote me a dream page, and I began to sit before God and say, God, what are your dreams for my life? What are your dreams for my life? Not my dreams, but what are your dreams? What do you desire? And I was, <laughs> I was surprised. It was huge. And I began to write them down in faith. And then I'd read that verse. God, by his mighty power at work in you, is able to do far more than you would even dare to ask, even more than you would dream of. You see, you're, you're asking, your goals, your dreams, they're not even big enough for God. We've limited God by our lack of faith. We have no power because we don't really believe that he really wants to meet us on this road. We give up before we start because we base it on past experience. And God's saying, do you dare to dream? Do you dare to believe? You ever sit down in front of God and say, God, what do you say I should weigh? You ever do that? God, what's, what's my ideal weight? God, what would you have me do as far as exercise? Is it not important? Is it important? Lord, you tell me. And I tell you, when you begin to open your heart up and ask God and write down what he's saying to you, if you dare to do it, you're going to be surprised. Because it's going to be bigger than you thought. <laughs> and you're going to go, I can't do that. And God says, exactly, you can't. You have no power. You only have willpower, but I can if you can turn into faith what I'm speaking to you. You see, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When he speaks a word to you, you have a choice. You're going to believe it or not. Because if you believe the word, it releases power and God can do it in your life. If you don't believe, you have no power, just like it said earlier. He sets the goal. And he will make a way to accomplish it. God, what's your dream for my life? What do you dream of, God? Let me just say this. God blesses people that dare to ask. He says you have not. Now James says that. You have not because you ask not. So many people want to live in contentment. That's what I was doing. I just said like, well, you know, maybe I've gone as far as I can go. Maybe this is as good as it gets. You know, that's fine. I'm happy. I have a great life. And God says, stop. You're not done. Ask me. God will bless you if you dare to ask me. 
dare to dream with me? Let me just ask you this question. What would you ask for? What would you attempt if you knew you couldn't fail? Now think about that. If God drops something in your heart and it is really from him, how could you fail if you believed it? Because he said, all things are possible for them that believe. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What would we ask for if we knew we could not fail? Because that is the goal that's big enough for 2020. I'm asking you to step out in faith. I'm not asking you to step out in your own power, your own logic, your own willpower. I'm asking you to step in. I want this to be a faith journey. I want us to grow as spiritual beings, challenge ourselves mentally, emotionally, examine ourselves, know the truth. I'm ending with this. Every single goal. This is another reason I know that this is a faith journey and a, and a spiritual journey. Every single goal that you write in your journal is faith. You know that, don't you? Because it's the substance of something hoped for and the evidence of something you've not seen. So in, in 2020, even losing 20 pounds, it's something I hope for. And in my spirit, God has confirmed to me, I see it in the spirit. I see it if you want to go there, in the fourth dimension. I don't see it in this one. I see myself in the fourth dimension. I see myself as God sees me. And I dare to believe for that. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then when we have faith, God releases power to make that faith move us into what God wants us to walk in. It's just that simple. So there's no dream, no goal, financially, physically, anyway, that isn't attainable with God's power. So what are your goals for 2020? That's the question. Let's, let's stand together and, and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you care about our bodies. I thank you, God, that you care about our life. I thank you that you challenge us, God, that we, that you, you don't let us just be okay with status quo. I thank you, Father, that you're always wanting us to improve and to move forward. We thank you, Lord, that it's, it's just in our spirit to want to do that. But, Lord, today I'm asking that you would drop faith into the hearts of your people, and at the same time you drop faith into their heart, that, God, you would drop a goal in their heart, a desire in their heart, to get down the road in 2020 to a place where they haven't been able to get before. God, we're asking for goals to be dropped in our spirit that are so big that we could, could not possibly accomplish them without your power. We love you, God. We thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you don't just save us and then, and then just let us go on our own, that you really do challenge us to become who you designed us to be. So God, be with your people today. Bless them this week. Let them feel your love and your presence everywhere they go. May you be real, God, to every single one of them. May your voice be clear. We pray that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. So if you're ministering today, please come up. If you need prayer today, we invite you to come up and get prayer. Uh, if not, you'd be blessed as you leave. Be sure and get you a journal out there at the front desk if you didn't get one last week. Uh, we love you. We'll see you next week.